I'm not much for one for standing behind pulpits. So I will make this as easy as I can for you. I move around a lot. I never stand still. You cannot get me to stand still when I'm talking about God. It's that simple. So when we get going here this morning, I want you to know a couple of things. First of all, I always try and go back to the Bible. If you ever even remotely think me, Ralph, anybody else goes beyond that, it's your job to stand up. Maybe not right now, but after service and pick our brains and find out why we say what we say. Or if we're being outside of the Bible, you should call us on the carpet for it. It's your job. That is the church's job, is to make sure that what stays in the church is holy and of God. If you don't believe that, you forgot to read the New Testament, because Paul was always telling them to make sure that what is being preached and taught is of Scripture. Okay, that's my little spiel for that. On to this morning's message. We're going to talk about something that's probably outside most of the venue for Christmas. And I know that that sounds kind of weird, but I want to make a couple of things real clear as we start off. Number one, Matthew and Luke have the nativity down to a T. Everybody likes Matthew and, and Luke's version of both of those. They put them both together. They take them apart. They put them back together. They take them apart again. It doesn't matter. This morning, Mark doesn't really talk about the nativity too much. Except later in the book, there's a couple of little instances. But primarily, John looks at the nativity from a completely different perspective. Rather than on what happened, which is what Matthew and Luke do, John lets us know why it happened. And that's what we're going to take a look at a little bit this morning. So the title of the sermon is actually, um, Why Celebrate Christmas Anyway? Uh, many questions, or many questions, excuse me, arise this time of year. How old was Mary and Joseph? Why did they even travel? What is a manger? How many shepherds were there? When did the wise men arrive? We can answer most of those questions pretty relatively, can't we? One particular question that should be is what makes Jesus so special? What makes him so special? Who can answer this question? What makes him so special? Hopefully we all can in this room. But if you can't, listen this morning. If you haven't, listen this morning. If you want to know more, listen this morning. That should include everybody. <clears throat> sure, he was a baby born around the time that the Messiah was supposed to come. Completely prophesied in the Old Testament. We'll get more to that in a little bit. Sure, he came on the night a new star was born. Sure, he came to a mother and a father. The mother probably, not probably, was a virgin according to scripture. <clears throat> he was in a manger. Now, most of us think of a manger. What's the first thing you think of? Come on, this is Q&A time. A square box, probably made out of wood with hay in it, right? Or some kind of trough. Most mangers in that day and age were actually made out of stone. Did you know that? Ah. Oh. There's a new one for you to look up. How much of it really matters to us and the next generation? Really, it was about the Jews. Luke and Matthew both were writing to the Jews, and they were telling specific stories for specific reasons. There's a reason why it was stoned. There's a reason why it was a manger. It's because he was in the city of Bethlehem. Everybody knows the city of Bethlehem, right? What was the purpose and center of Bethlehem besides the birth of Jesus before that and after for a while? Anybody know? The city of David. Well, what was important about the city of David? Huh? The shepherds. 
shepherds. Okay, we're all missing it. That's where the sacrificial lambs, the purest in the nation, were bought and raised. And they were bought and they were put into a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, who does that make sense to? It makes sense to you now that I just told you, right? But who did it make the most sense to the night of his birth? And who else was there that day? The shepherds. The shepherds would understand what a lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes was doing in a manger. Because that's the prepping stone before they would go to sacrifice. Interesting. And they would be wrapped up in swaddling clothes so they didn't hurt themselves and they didn't blemish themselves so the lambs could be then used in sacrifice later. It's a whole, whole nother picture than what we're used to, isn't it? Makes sense, and there's nothing wrong with the picture we have. But it goes the next step. So all of these things really matter most to the people that it was shown to. Does that make sense? So why does it matter to us? Why do we still celebrate it today? If you weren't a Jew and you didn't know about sacrifices and all those kinds of things, what would that matter that he was born in a manger? Let's talk about some of those things this morning. What really matters to the next generation? This was all about the Jews. I already told you that. <clears throat> it doesn't matter a whole lot to the Gentiles who did not, were not raised in celebrating the Jewish traditions. We're not raised to be sacrificial people. We're not raised in the venue of the church in that time. Okay, so what did it mean to the Gentiles? But yet Jesus was here for the Gentiles, right? Would you all agree with that statement? Okay, so not only Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. So we need to make sure we understand what's relevant for the Gentiles today. In a pagan world, that's literally what Gentile means, to the pagans, what really matters about Christmas time? The manger, the nativity, all matters. Don't get me wrong. I'm not misstating that. In fact, I celebrate it just as much as most of you do, if not more. Okay? I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm trying to tell you how we can begin to reach Gentiles who don't understand the church a little bit better. Okay? And where's the importance lie? These are things that we're going to look at a little bit this morning. It only really matters. <clears throat> Some of those things only matter to us. When the Antichrist comes. Here's why. Because he's going to claim the prophecies that Jesus has already claimed from the Old Testament. And he will lull over a lot of people because we don't understand the manger. Those things are important. They are definitely important. Do not hear me not say that this morning. But we're going to look at a little bit different version of Christmas this morning. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> I'm not a King James only guy. Um, I like a lot of different versions. I usually preach out of the New King James, the NASB, uh, my Gideon Bible sometimes. Um, and every once in a while, I like to throw something a little different in. This morning, I'm going to read from what's called the Phillips Translation. It's a little bit different read. And the reason why is it's because it took out all the numbers. <laughs> it took out all the numbers, but I'm still going to read to you one through five this morning. Then I will jump back over into my New King James. So if you don't feel like you're hearing exactly what I say. I want you to hear the way that Phillips translates this out. Mr. J.B. Phillips translated this out from the Greek, the first five verses of chapter one of the book of John. Now we're going to be in John one, so you might as well stay there. We're going to be in the lot of John one this morning, okay? At the beginning, God expressed himself. 
that personal expression, the word, was with God and was God. And he existed with God from the beginning. All creation took place through him and none took place without him. In him appeared life and this life was the light of mankind. The light still shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Let's pray for the reading of his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the availability to look at the multiple different versions of the word that you have produced for us, Father. But we pray that what we hear is what your Holy Spirit deems necessary for our hearts. We pray that you would allow us to understand and know you all the better, Father. As Christians, as non-Christians, as people who believe and those who don't, may we understand the meaning and the story behind Christmas. Father, what it means to understand that your son was born for one purpose, and that was to die for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray and say, amen. There's a lot to the book of John that we kind of overlook and we kind of mis mistake, so I just want you to keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> rather than concentrate on his first days in this world, John really wants to give us a picture of what makes Jesus so special. What makes him so special to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the lost, to those who are coming next? To, as you would see in John 15, when Jesus prays for everybody, you see three basic prayers in one prayer. One for himself, him and the Father are communicating back and forth. Two, he prays for the disciples of that day. Now, you can say it was the 12, you can say it was the 500, you can say it was the 70, it doesn't matter. He was praying for the disciples of that day. In the second part of that prayer. In the third part of that prayer, he prays for you and I. If you believe you're a disciple of Christ, he prays for you and I. Now, number one, if Jesus needed prayer, <clears throat> how much more do we need it? Number two, how much should we pray for one another? And number three, how much should we pray for ourselves? If Jesus thought it was important, and John thought it was important enough to write it down, we should be paying attention. That's John 15. If you ever want to go back there, you can look that up. Okay, in this morning's lesson, we're going to look at what John is trying to teach us about who Jesus really is. There's a whole lot to it. And John actually puts in a lot of the picture that I believe Matthew and John leave out, which is why it's a good idea to have the four Gospels, because now we have four different perspectives. Okay, how many of you have had children? Come on, Tolai. How many of you had more than one? How many of you have more than one grandchild? <clears throat> How many of you know they each have their own perspective on who you are? Okay. Each one of my children, I have four, each one of them have a different perspective on who I am. Every one of them. Treated them as closely to the same as I could. Now, everybody knows that's a big lie. But anyway, you get the idea, right? We try and treat our children the same, but we end up disciplining different. We end up teaching different because they learn differently or they respond differently or those kinds of things. And so each one of my four children have a different perspective of who I am. Right? Now, a lot of ways they what? They agree, just like the Gospels do. Four different perspectives of who Jesus was. They're all truthful. Right? Would you agree with that statement? They're all truthful, but they all come from a different perspective. Same idea, same principle, okay? That's why it's, in, it's a very important to look at every variation. 
these different perspectives are very important. It helps us to have true hindsight on the five W's. How many of you remember the five W's from school? Come on, help me out. And why? Okay, I think we got them all. Who, what, when, where, why, and how, right? So <clears throat> those are what we're looking at. We want to see all of those pictures. We want to have that true hindsight 2020. How many of you use that on your kids? How many of you learned it from your moms and your dads? <laughs> okay, this is the idea that we're trying to present here. We're looking at Jesus from a hindsight perspective, which means we truly, honestly need to look at every perspective that we can, especially the ones that are outright given to us. Four different perspectives, okay? Now, as we look at this, Jesus, or John proves Christ's identity through three specific aspects. Go ahead and give me those three specific aspects there. <clears throat> we'll look at these this morning in a little bit. We'll break all three of these down just a little bit more. But basically, there it is. Identity proved by his names, his works, and by the witnesses. Okay? His names, the works, and witnesses. All of Jesus. All within the first chapter of John all named in the first chapter of John, and we're going to look at those this morning. Go ahead to the next one, buddy. So, Jesus Christiso, Jesus Christ, that is named. What other names does he hold? Well, go back into your Bibles this morning, John chapter 1. Stay there. I told you we would be there this morning, so make sure you stay there. <clears throat> the most common names used for the baby in the manger today. But in his day, it was simply Jesus. In his day, it was simply Jesus. And actually, that's not true. Okay? That's our English teaching of the name. Everybody get that? The name Jesus is the same name translated into the Greek from the Hebrew as what? Does anybody know? Yahshua. Very good. Which is also another name that we mistranslate in the early Old Testament, which was? I thought I heard it. Anybody else know? Joshua. Joshua, the book Joshua we have, Joshua, Yahshua, Yahshua, Yahshua is the Hebrew version of Isisios or Jesus that we have today, okay? Now that doesn't mean go around start pronouncing only Yahshua, okay? That's not what I'm telling you to do. Now there are people out there that will say that. What I want you to know is what name you're speaking and why, okay? Jesus, the son of a carpenter. The Jesus, the son of who? Joseph. Okay. Jesus bar Joseph. Okay. This is very important. Who he is and what his name is is very important. Does anybody know what Yahshua means? Hmm? One who saves usually, but he saves, yes, will work. It literally means salvation. In the basic translation, his name alone means salvation or savior. Okay? Joshua saved the people as they went into the promised land. Okay? <laughs> this is where we get the terminology from. Names are very important. <clears throat> My name's George. Hi, everybody. How you doing? George doesn't mean a whole lot to you guys. Okay? But Old Testament names, even New Testament names, are very, very important, which is the names between Simon and Peter are different. It's really the same name. One's in Hebrew, one's in Greek. Did you know that? Same thing with, who else? Saul and Paul. 
Saul and Paul, or you were going Old Testament on me, but Saul and Paul, okay? One is literally his Hebrew name, and the other is his Greek name, okay? They have differences of meaning, but they mean basically the same basic thing, okay? But the tentative idea, I believe Jesus was trying to get across when he, I, I hate to use the word change their names, because he didn't really change their names, he just identified them with a different language, and he said what he's saying is, you will be for the Gentiles. You need to be known by the Gentiles, so you need to speak their tongue. You need to be of them. Uh, we would say something similar today. When in Rome, do as the Romans, as long as it doesn't go against God's word. But anyway, that's the point. You guys get it, right? Okay, that's, Jesus. that's all Jesus was doing in those times when he was changing those names. A little bit different back with Abraham, Abram to Abraham. A little bit different, but same basic principality. Here is why I need you to be who you are. Okay? You're going to be for the Gentiles as much as you're for the Jews. The Jews don't like this. So it's a way for him to point it out to the Jews after he's gone. No, don't quit calling me Saul. My name is Paul. He said that over and over and over and over to the Jewish leaders. What was he doing? Sticking a knife in them until they were done? No, he was just telling them, look, I'm for, God is for the Gentiles as well as he is for you. Okay? Every part of John 1 is the same basic picture. Jesus is not just for the Jews. He is for who? All. The whole world. However you want to look at it. John 3.16 is a good picture of that too, right? Okay? Everybody, every man, woman, and child, all of mankind. And John was making a very big point of that. I'm going to start doing it with his names. He is the Word. Verse 1, 3 through 14. All these are up here. If you want them, you can have the notes. So if I jump through them a little too fast, just know that. What names does he hold? He is the Word. He is the Light. Comes out in verses 4 through 13. These are very important. He's the Light of the world. Now, there's something very specific about light and darkness. Does everybody know what it is? Light can remove darkness. Darkness can never remove light. Scientific fact. Scientific fact. How far out in space you go, it never changes. Light will always remove darkness, but darkness can never remove light. This is one of the reasons why he's that way. It's also why in Matthew chapter 5, the great sermon on the mount, Jesus calls us what? If we have the light inside of us, what do we automatically become? The light of the world. Okay? We become the lighthouses because we take on the mantle of who Jesus is. We become the light and the salt. There's another parody there, but you get the idea. The next, he is the son of God, verses 15 through 18. Let's read those real quick before we jump through too far. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. It sounds like a tongue twister, but basically what he's saying is, he's been around since the beginning of time. Read verse 1. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Now, salvation hasn't completed yet, but it is already in the works. And John knows this and understands this, and he gets the purpose of the cross. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Why do you say Jesus Christ? 
Anybody know? Jesus is his name. Christ is what? Messiah. Title. It's a title. Christ who is Savior. Okay? He who saves. Again, so the Savior who has come to save. Every time you hear the term Jesus Christ, that's what you're saying. Every time you say it, that's what you're saying. You're not saying George Perkins. You're saying the Savior who has come to save. <laughs> or who has been anointed to come to save. There are a couple of ways to look at that. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Okay? Jesus says a lot of times throughout his ministry a couple of things that are very important here. Are you ready for it? I and the Father are... Okay, you got that one. John is pointing that out right here. He and the Father are one. Nobody knows God. Nobody has been face-to-face -face with God except for who? Jesus. Why? Because he's declared it. Now, he's getting ahead of himself. This is kind of a prequel to the rest of the book. He's getting ahead of himself. But he's saying, he said it, not me. <laughs> he said it, not me. I use that a lot in sermons, by the way. Don't blame me. Blame him. God said it, not me. Okay? <clears throat> One of the things we have to recognize is when God speaks, it's pretty important. Jesus says, I and the Father are what? He has seen the Father, has seen me. Okay? That's, John's just pointing that out here in verse 18. Okay? So he is the Son of God. There's no question in John's mind when this book is being written. This is John the Beloved. He was just talking about John the Baptist, so don't conflict the two. Okay? Everybody got that? All right. This was blasphemy, according to the Jews. No one can claim to be God except God himself. And so they never believed the early New Testament Jews, as a whole, from the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, from a spiritual transit, none of them believed as a, as a group. There were exceptions, Nicodemus being one of them. There is exception to that rule, but for the most part, they did not believe he was the Son of God, therefore he was in blasphemy. Okay? I don't believe that to be true. I believe he said who he said he was. You know how I know that? Because there's only three L's to Jesus. Three L's. You know what they are? Huh? Okay. <clears throat> Jesus was a lunatic. He was crazy for saying the things that he said. He was outright off his rocker. So he was either a lunatic. He was an outright bold-faced liar. If he wasn't crazy in the things he was saying, he was lying about them. Or... And the only thing that we can conclude as Christians, Christ-like disciples, is that he was legitimate. Okay? So, he is who he says he is. Or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. You make your choice. I choose to believe he's legitimate. Okay? So, he is the Christ. He calls himself such as that. Verses 19 through 28 goes into that into a little bit more detail. We're going to jump on down to he is the Lamb of God. Verse 29. 29 and then to 35. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
So John here is the one calling him the Lamb of God. Verse 35, again, the next day, John stood with the two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, what? The Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed who? Jesus. Now, most of these would have been Jews at the time. They would have understood what the Lamb of God meant. All right. But it is important who the Lamb of God is. Secondly, or not, not secondly, sixthly, I think, uh, he is the king of Israel, verses 43 through 49. Let's read those ones real quick. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said unto him, what? Follow me. Follow me. One of the most important statements that Jesus will ever make, and we need to recognize that statement. Because a lot of us think Jesus said, accept me. He did not. He said, follow me. There's a big difference in English on what those two words mean. Sorry, that's my, <clears throat> what do you call it? That's my footstool. Anyway, 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, and the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come in, what? See. See for yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, every one of us thinks he was standing out underneath of a fig tree, and Jesus happened to know who he was when he walked by. And you could go with that statement. But the literal statement is, I have known you your whole life. The tree being his life. I have known you since you were under that tree. Since you were this big, a seed. That's what Jesus is literally saying. I know who you are. We get the same example back in the Psalms when he talks about what? Jesus talks about this or God, or the writer actually talks about this in the Psalms, okay? Jesus knew us before we were even, what? Born. Born. This is the comparison Jesus makes. I've known you your whole life. Before Philip even talked to me, I have known you your whole life. That's what he said, okay? Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi. Immediately after that statement, he calls him Rabbi. Rabbi being teacher right okay <clears throat> he instantly knows his place and he instantly knows jesus's place by that one statement teacher or rabbi you are the what how much more evidence do you need somebody comes up to you and go i've known you since you were this big jesus says i've known you since before you were even born How precious is that? We often think of how could Jesus die for me? He's seen my whole life. He's seen who I am and who I've become. He's seen the terrible things I've done. And in all reality, he knew that before you were ever born. Because the word was with God and the word was God. 
Back to verse 1. He is the king of Israel. He is also the son of man, verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Obviously he did after the statement he just made in 49. You will see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of who? Man. Okay. Now, the Son of Man versus the Son of God is very important because they literally, quite literally, mean the exact same thing. But they mean it from two different perspectives. Right? Son of Man says, I come from David. <laughs> I am the one that was prophesied that would be the Savior of all Israel. Son of God, I'm the one that David prophesied about. <laughs> that would come from God and save all of Israel. But they're completely two different perspectives of the same person. Again, this is why when he doesn't just say son of man, but, or excuse me, son of God, when he says son of man, that's why they want to kill him too. Because again, they think he's doing what? Big B word? Blasphemy. These are just some of the most common names that Jesus has used, and they're all pushed down into chapter 1 of John. So while the nativity is very important, so who's who he is. Names, titles are very important when it comes to God, period. If you don't know that, why do you have that picture back there? What's the line of Judah? What's Yahweh? What's... Uh, all of those names have meanings. They're perspectives on who God is in that moment, at that time. Emmanuel, God with us. And we'll talk more about that one here in a minute. Who is he? Well, we don't, he is, I, I love this terminology, but it's one of the hardest ones to explain. God said in the desert to Moses, to a people groups he hasn't talked to for almost 400 years. And Moses asks a very simple question, does he not? <clears throat> uh, if I go back to them, who am I supposed to say is sending me to them? And what's God's answer? I am that I am. You know what that means? I'm everything. In, in its most basic rudimentary form, it means I am everything. I am love. I am justice. I am peace. I am grace. All those nice things. I am judgment, too. I am life. I hold on to life and death. We like the lovey-dovey start, but we forget some of the other things. I am the provider. I'm the protector. We like these things, right? We can't forget the judgment part. Okay? These are the names. And they're just a few of them. This is not an exhaustive list. Everybody know that, right? Okay? Okay, go on to the next one here, boss. Start with the first one. What other works did he do? So now we get into what did Jesus do to really prove who he what? Was. I'm going to run through these relatively quickly because we're running on time because I like to speak too much, okay? So <clears throat> if I'm running fast for you, you know why, okay? All right. 
First things first. What are the pieces of the works that the carpenter is known for? He created the world. That all comes out in the first few verses that we read, one through four. He gives men salvation is next. John 1, 9 through 13, if you go back and look at those specifically, you will understand how he gives that, okay? <clears throat> he reveals to men who God is, okay? He reveals to men who God is. That's one of the works that he does throughout his life, okay? He baptizes with the Spirit, verses 133. Let's read that one real quick. I didn't say that right. John chapter 1, verse 33. I did say that right. Sorry. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, On whom you will see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who what? Baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So what does Jesus do? He quite literally baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now everybody goes, well, how does that happen? Well, brief explanation. How many of you know about the story when Jesus sends out the 70? Okay. He sends out the 70 to go to the other towns around and basically preach. Okay. What they know, what they understand, go spout it off to the rest of these Gentiles around here, and we're all going to meet up here. Okay. X. Okay. When he makes that statement, and he does it several times, by the way, we only have one accounting of it, but he probably does this all the time. He sends the disciples out. And when they go out and preach, they are filled with what? The Holy Spirit. But they lose that by the time they come back. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. It is before Pentecost. If you look at everything in the Old Testament, you are given the Holy Spirit for a specific time, a specific purpose, a specific place. Then you move on with life. Now, the same person might be filled with the Holy Spirit several times. Guess what? As Christians... We get to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. What a blessing in comparison. This is why they come back and they go, oh, we're tired, our feet hurt, everything else, and they whine and they complain. And Jesus says things like this, oh, how many times do I got to deal with you guys? Have you read the New Testament? He says that a lot. Tell me, trust me. Maybe it wasn't quite in that necessity ways, but that's what he does. So he reveals God to men. He baptizes in the Spirit, and he knows man. He knows who you are. Go back to the Nathaniel story. He knows who we are. Every part of these things is important. He opens the way for men into heaven, verses 50 and 51. Let's go back and read those again. He says to Nathaniel after the conversation, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you not believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see what? Heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He will see heaven. Heaven's gates are open to those who know who Jesus is. Okay? Now, these are the things that he did. We know who he was by his names, what he did, and then who are his witnesses? Who are his witnesses? We've already talked about a bunch of them, so we're just going to run through these again and again. The most common witnesses we think of, though, are the innkeeper, the shepherds, the drummer boy. Oh, wait, I'm not sure that's scriptural. <clears throat> 
in all the aspects, we think of those who were specifically at the nativity as being his witnesses. You know how important those ones are? On a scale of 1 to 100, they're about an importance of 1. Let me tell you. Because Jesus' witnesses number in the thousands. And I would dare to say that if you include every disciple of Christ since the day of Pentecost, I would say there are millions who have witnessed Christ in their life. If not billions. Isn't that a wonderful picture to see? We have witnessed who God is. Not just in our salvation, but what he can do in and through us each and every day. So, his witnesses, just briefly wrapped up here. Number one, John the Baptist, which we've already talked about. All right? Number two, John the Apostle. John 1.14. It's hard to go back and forth, but if you read Greek, you know the difference because the Johns are named differently. The Old Testament prophecies, John 1.45. So, all the times in the Old Testament, all those prophets who prophesied who Jesus was going to be, guess what they are? They are witnesses to what is to come. Okay? Number four, the Holy Spirit. Who better sure? And we know this specifically from the baptism of Jesus. What's the voice from heaven? What's he say? This is my son who I am well what? Pleased. Did you know this is the only time in the entirety of the Word of God, and I'm trying to figure out how he did it, because unless Jesus was a ventriloquist, Jesus is the Word of God. How did he speak from heaven when he was being dunked? I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to get you to smile a little bit, okay? The Holy Spirit speaks to you and I, don't he? Uh, that's how ridiculous my comment was, but just, just so you understand and know this. Okay. The Holy Spirit. Andrew, listen in John in verse 41, Philip in 45, and Nathaniel, obviously, in 49. The, all of that. Now, again, not an exhaustive list. Why? We know it's not an exhaustive list because all you gotta do is keep reading in the book of John, just one little book, and what we find out is there's hundreds. Okay? He had 12 followers, he had 70 followers, he had 500 followers, and as he would go, people would change, and people would drop off, and more people would come, and right? Hundreds, if not thousands in his lifetime. Okay? Those are his witnesses. Who is Jesus? It comes up all the time. Why do you worship Jesus? Why do you still go to church? That old antiquated thing. Because it's real, and I can prove it, and so can you. You don't have to be in apologetics to understand and know that Jesus is Christ. All you have to know is who he is. One of my favorite verses, if you got just a minute, we'll kind of close with this. The, the conclusion is just what we started with, so go back up to that. John proves his identity through those three aspects, right? His names, his works, and his witnesses. You've got your Bibles. Turn all the way back into the book of Revelation. I challenge everybody I can 
to read as much as you can all the time. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Never take anything out of context. You got that? So because we're reading one little verse, go back and read the rest of the story. Okay, who is that? Paul Harvey? Make sure you know the whole story. Okay. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite passages of the entirety of the Bible. Because it's where we become the messengers. We become the angels. We become the ones that are used by God. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 12. And they overcame him by the what? Blood of the Lamb. Nobody is denying the power of Jesus in this statement. And by the word of what? Their testimony. What God has done in you has to be spoken so that people will know about the blood of the Lamb. Guess who he's chosen to do that? Old Testament words we like to use like messengers and angels. You know, I think the angels are a little upset with us. They no longer get to be the messengers. Their last message, now they might come and speak individually from time to time. But their last message of God's saving grace was that morning to the shepherds. Because Jesus said, you follow me. You teach. You go. You are the messengers. So if you want to get into theology with me, I don't believe in little angels all over the place. I believe he left us to do that job for him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Most importantly, we thank you that it came in a night when none of us could even understand and recognize the true potential of what this little baby would be. We may ask if Mary knew. We may ask if Joseph knew. But what we do know is that you knew. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage us to tell the world the story of Christmas that first morning because it leads us to the cross 33 years later. And not just the cross, but it leads us to a tomb in which he was placed for the purpose of carrying out our salvation. And then three days later, rising up from what assuredly was death beyond imagination for any other human being and becoming life for all of eternity for us. In Jesus' name we humbly pray and say, Amen. Do you believe? Do you believe in the manger? I don't care if you still use a wooden box. I really don't. Okay? You want the sheep? Smelly, nasty. No, I'm just kidding. We are all sheep. And if we're being compared to sheep, we're a bunch of dumb, stinky animals. But there was one. There was one that was faultless and blameless given for us. So that we wouldn't have to die, that we could live. Not just for now on this earth, but for all of eternity. Praise his name and worship him during this time of year. And tell somebody about Jesus.
You all have a blessed, wonderful week and Merry Christmas. Can you do that for me? Do we sing a song or anything as we go? No. no?